Welcome to the Hospitality Forward podcast with listeners in more than 160 countries worldwide. My name is Hannah Lee. I am president and founder of Hannah Lee Communications, an award-winning global PR agency specialized in hospitality and travel. And I'm Michael Anstendig, editor-in-chief of Hannah Lee Communications, as well as the award-winning co-author of The Japanese Art of the Cocktail and The Food and Beverage Writer. Helping the community has always been part of our agency's mission. We understand that a lot of business owners, bartenders, chefs, sommeliers, and others might not have the resources to hire a PR agency. We believe everyone has a story to share, so we created our podcast where our listeners can get to know leading reporters and writers and start building relationships. Each week, these top journalists from around the globe share their practical advice on how hospitality and travel industry professionals can be featured in their stories. In fact, one of our loyal listeners got featured in the New York Times after listening to our podcast and following our media guest tips. So, you could be next. In addition, we give away a copy of our agency's book, The Japanese Art of the Cocktail, to a listener who shares how our podcast helped them tell their story to the media. Simply email us at hello at hanaleecommunications.com, have hospitality forward in the subject line, and share the tip that you learned. And now, on with the show. In this episode, we're delighted to chat with Betsy Andrews. Betsy is a James Beard, ISAP, and SATW award-winning food, drink, and travel writer. She's a contributing editor at Food & Wine and 750 Daily, and writes for numerous publications, including Imbibe, The Wall Street Journal, Travel & Leisure, Condé Nast Traveler, Wine Enthusiast, Serious Eats, and Plates. She's also the co-author of the upcoming book, Coastal, a road-trippy California cookbook, as well as the author of three books of poetry. Hi, Betsy. Welcome to the show. So great to see you. Hi, I'm so glad to be here with you today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Betsy, you're an award-winning James Beard, ISAP, SATW, food, drink, and travel writer. So how did you first get into journalism? Well, I was in graduate school for poetry. I got an MFA. And I was coming back to New York, and I needed a job as a writer, and that seemed impossible. So I sent out a zillion cover letters. And the only place that I got an interview was at Zagat, because I had worked at a lot of restaurants. I had waited tables and bartended at restaurants all through graduate school, and they needed someone who could both write and also understood restaurants. Um, and then it just sort of snowballed. I wanted to leave Zagat. I didn't have any magazine experience, but Hurricane Katrina had happened in New Orleans, and I love New Orleans like anyone in the drink world loves New Orleans. So I pitched a story to Food & Wine that I would go down to New Orleans and work in restaurant kitchens and write about the rebuilding of the restaurant industry right after Katrina. And the editor-in-chief at the time, Dana Cowan, said, well, that's a great idea, but we're not interested. We don't want that for the magazine. And I said, well, how about a blog? This was 2005, of course, and they didn't have a blog. So the very first blog that Food & Wine ever did was mine, um, and it was called On the Line in New Orleans. And I reported the end of 2005 as the city was just starting to come out of its post-hurricane days. 
now look at you. You have won so many awards. So, in your opinion, what makes an award-winning article? And is there a common thread in your acclaimed stories? So, the story that won me the IACP and the Beard Award was the same story, and. I really do think that you know those awards are not about the writer; they are about the story. Uh, it's about how the Supreme Court's decision to end Roe v. Wade took away, you know, the right to reproductive health care for people, and how that affected the bar industry. You know, a place where wages are low, um, there's very little health insurance, if any, and no job security. So, what happens? If you are a person who get, can get pregnant and you do get pregnant in a state where you can't get reproductive health care, you can't get an abortion, and you've got this job with no health insurance. So it was about the activists in within the industry who are working on this and who are helping each other through, you know, supporting the workers in their bar with models that allow them to give health care um, through creating underground networks, you know, and getting people out of the states that they're in to a state where they can actually get appropriate health care, um, you know, to giving them the, the financial means to, to do so. And it was just really, really relevant and urgent, that story at that moment. And I knew I had to write it. And I had to convince my editors, too. So those are the kinds of stories that I hope you know, year to year get chosen for awards because it elevates that issue and keeps that issue on the table in our industry. And, and that's important. It was a truly eye-opening story. So thanks for what you do for our community. Thank you. Yeah, it was a message people needed to hear at that time and, and still do. So getting an award is an accomplishment. But when we won the best PR campaigns for various organizations, we felt an obligation to do better. So what does all this recognition mean to you? Yeah, well, you know, I've been at this for a long time. So I did feel, even though I say that those awards are about the story and not about the writer, that it was important to me in terms of giving me the energy to continue to do what I do. Frankly, as a as a freelancer, it doesn't help me get bylines. Uh, it does help me get attention from PR people. <laughs> well, nothing wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> nothing wrong with that because that's very often where my stories get generated, you know, in those conversations and in those opportunities that your industry provides to my sector. So, Betsy, you write for numerous publications uh, like 750 Daily, Food & Wine, and Imbibe. What would you say are the audiences of each outlet and how do you tailor your writing towards them? So I write for some, you know, industry publications. 750 Daily is an industry publication. Um, I write for Plate Magazine. That is an industry publication. I also write for Vine Pair Pro sometimes. That's an industry publication. When you write for those publications, they're sort of like the super readers, right? And so you can get wonkier. And I really like that. Like I can really dive into the science of things, you know, and like talk to people in the, the transportation industry and engineers and all sorts of people you sort of never really see in a consumer magazine, you know, getting quoted. Um, and then, you know, food and wine and uh, imbibe and the travel magazines I write for, you know, that is more experiential. And those stories, I do a lot of travel 
for those stories. Now, I also do travel for the trade publications, but you know, that's Betsy goes someplace amazing, meets all these incredible people doing all this amazing stuff, you know, eats and drinks and then lives to tell about it. What a good life. <laughs> so um, as a martini lover, I found your martini and snacks pairing story in the Wall Street Journal very delightful and informative. So what sparked your interest in these wonderful pairings? Yeah, so this is sort of how stories come to me. I experienced something and it just seems right. So I was at... Um, a martini bar in the East Village and eating this delicious little caviar sandwich. And I was like, you know, what other opportunity do you have for this delicious caviar sandwich except paired with a martini? Like, this is perfect. And you, and I was, you know, realizing like, wow, you really need a snack with this salty, strong drink. And I also, you know, I feel like with bars, you know, we don't oftentimes talk about the food aspect in bars. You know, we're very focused on the cocktails, but every bar nowadays has delicious nibbles. So that's a part of the story, too. You know, given the potency of the martini, a bite of food, you know, like you said, is truly essential. And it's really great that bars are stepping up to the challenge and, and then some, really. But do you have a, a personal favorite combination? Yeah. I mean, I just mentioned that that caviar sandwich blows me away. Caviar also, right now, for some reason, it's as cheaper than it's ever been. And I, I think that's because of American production of sustainable caviar. So it's got like a horseradish aioli and just a thin little bit of caviar, crustless sandwich, and just, a, you know, a slightly dirty, slightly wet gin martini. Oh, mm. my goodness. Ah, that sounds Making us so hungry and thirsty. Good. That sounds so good. <laughs> and we, we really enjoyed your 750 Daily on the six wine industry trends to watch this year. And uh, we thought it was, you know, thoughtful and so thoroughly researched. And you quoted, I mean, it was like upwards of like 20 industry experts. So um, what is the process for finding your sources? I mean, obviously, our listeners pretty much... All they are in hospitality industry, and we believe that everybody is a newsmaker. So how they can get on your radar and then potentially become a trusted sources? You know, two things. One is people who are bartenders who are in the industry can just contact me directly on social media, you know, through Thirsty List on, on Facebook, or they can just message me, you know, and say hi. I'm always interested in learning about, you know, new folks out there who are who are doing stuff and who want to connect with me. And I like to go directly to them, you know, when I have when I have needs and story ideas. If they're going through their PR person, then, you know, that person can send me an email, you know, introducing them. They really should try to shape a theme and some story ideas for me. It's hard to write about a single person unless there's sort of a trend I can hook on to, unless they have an extraordinary story or they're doing something really extraordinary in their, in their bar that sort of moves the industry or moves the way you think about it forward. But then again, like I, it's really, look, I look at every email I get. And if it happens to be something that I need, I will come back to that person. And even if like, you know, you introduced me to somebody or some drink they're doing or some 
spirit they've got. And, you know, I have a, I usually have about a dozen stories I'm working on at one time. And sometimes I reach out to uh, PR, my PR list in general, you know, say I'm writing a story, a themed story. Um, I might just say with the martini snacks, I just reached out to, I keep an email, you know, list of PR folks. I just blast that list and say, who's got great martini snacks? They come back to me. People come back to me with hundreds of ideas. And then I start calling and curating to come down to the ones that I'm really interested in. You know, then I ask for more information and then I curate some more and finally come up with, you know, my list. So that happens a lot. Sometimes I just ask Hannah Lee. <laughs> and, you know, I feel so lucky to be on that list. Thanks for keeping me in your inner circle. I appreciate that so much. Of course. So let's talk about the pitching process. How long does it take from, you know, coming up with a story idea to having it published? You know, it depends. It depends on whether it ends up being published in print or it ends up being published online. You know, I travel a lot for stories. And I get invited a lot of places. And the places I choose to go, sometimes I've got a story, you know, when I leave the house to get on the plane. And sometimes I don't. And sometimes I have a story. And then I all I know that when I go to a place, I'm going to have many more story ideas come up. Um, sometimes I pitch editors and, you know, if publication's not interested. I pitch somebody else. I pitch somebody else. I pitch somebody else. I'm pretty relentless. So it could take a few years or it could be a very quick turnaround. Then we wait for the editors and that's a mystery. Who knows? With, with magazines, we do know, you know, we're talking about Anywhere from six months to two years lead time. You know, with online, if it's an online publication that works a little bit similarly to a magazine with a regular editorial schedule, then, you know, it's anywhere from a couple of weeks to a month that it will actually appear. For our listeners who want to pitch their stories to you, you know, how can they keep these timelines in mind? How far in advance should they be pitching you? So if it's, St. Patrick's Day tomorrow, just don't bother. But, it, you know, and then a lot of things are just sort of evergreen, you know, and so you can pitch it to me anytime. Uh, it's, if it's a trend story, you know, give me give me a whirl and maybe I'll get back to you. You know, maybe I'll be like, well, that's kind of a good idea. And even if I don't get back to you right away, I will circle back to you when I need something else. Um, but if you're a PR person and your client is desperate for attention right away, it's not that easy. I'm not necessarily the person to pitch. You should pitch an editor at Eater or Thrillist or somebody who's got just like a daily production, who's got daily needs, you know. Um, I'm a freelancer. My lead time is a little longer. My stories are not usually not quick turnaround. So in terms of the turnaround, you know, how would you compare 750 Daily versus Food and Wine versus Imbibe? So Imbibe is, uh, you know, a little bit shorter lead time. They're more like when, when I file, it's maybe like four months to publication, but they have a bit of a rolling calendar. So some stories I know I'm going to write for them a year out. Some stories it's a few months. 
with food and wine, it's it's sort of the same thing because they have they build their editorial calendar out very like a year in advance or more. Um, front of book things for them sometimes come a little, you know, a little bit uh, shorter time frame to publication. But if it's feature, you know, or the things they're they're, they're putting in the middle of the book or the well, they plan that pretty far in advance. So, Betsy, we believe that everyone has a story to share. So that's why we started our podcast to help our hospitality and travel industry newsmakers, especially those who don't have a PR agency. So for those folks who want to pitch their stories to you, can you share some practical tips on how our listeners should and shouldn't pitch you? So you should read my stories. You know, I'm very Googleable. Um, I also just collect all my stories at betsyandrews.contently.com. It's just an easy platform for me. So you can look at my stories there and, you know, know the kinds of things I'm interested in and then just say, hey, you know, make sure that you're speaking appropriately. You know, I mean, I just had somebody pitch me about meat-based cocktails and they used a piece that I wrote about the stigma against so-called picky eaters. I wrote this piece for Sever, and it's really about how we have to, we have to, you know, allow people their bodily autonomy at, at the table too. And so they started off this pitch by saying, I read your piece about picky eaters. And in case you want to go beyond the picky eater trend, here are some meat-based cocktails. I mean, it's memorable, but it's completely off base, you know. So don't be lazy, you know, I mean, be authentic, be authentic. I think you're right, Hannah, that everyone has a story in them. So authenticity really matters. You know, tell me, tell me your story, but be authentic about it. Mm -hmm. Just be yourself. Yeah. All right. Well, beyond meat cocktails, uh, what cocktail trends are you most excited about right now? Oh, you know, I'm excited about some things I'm trying. I'm trying to get some editors to let me write about. Nordic Gins is so amazing. They're so good. There's, you know, just like really uh, strong botanicals, um, beautiful, clean water, you know, and then so there are so many of them and we should be exploring them. So I really want to write about that. Also, Indian influence in cocktails. This is a story I really want to want to write about, too. I was suggesting that a few years ago, and I think we are kind of a hitting a bit of a high on that. You know, there are so many beautiful cocktails with Indian ingredients, um, cardamom and, you know, turmeric and curry leaf and all these beautiful ingredients. Let's talk about the food and travel. Any interesting trends there? Yeah. So places that are kind of cold are getting more and more popular because of climate change. So I just came back from Chile and Patagonia. Uh, right before that, I was in Tasmania. And Americans are the number one sector of visitors to Tasmania. And there's a reason to, you know, there's all sorts of reasons to go there. There's incredible farm-to-table cuisine, amazing wildlife. It's beautiful and a really, really fascinating both wine and spirit scene. Again, there's the distilling is off the hook there in Tasmania. So, yeah, I mean, I'm for me, I'm really inter interested in exploring all those sort of colder reaches 
Um, and I think that travelers definitely are going to those places as well. So let, let's shift gears for a moment. Uh, we all know that social media is a very important part of storytelling. So what platforms do you find the most helpful for doing research, discovering story ideas, and identifying sources? You know, I am on several groups on uh, Facebook. Everybody's, you know, it's Facebook. It's sort of old school, but I, you know, I'm on, I'm on a bunch of groups there and I still use those groups. You know, some of them are journalist groups. Um, and some of them are industry groups and people are having discussions and helping each other out and, and you know, acting as sources. And it's, it's, it's great. It's always been incredibly helpful. Um, and you know, when I need to find somebody, I can oftentimes find them on Instagram. You know, sometimes I find them on LinkedIn, but I do not spend any time on X. I don't spend any time on TikTok. Well, so then what kinds of social media posts catch your eye? I think there are some really good content creators who have obsessions like, you know, mom and pop New York restaurants that I don't get to all the time myself. And, you know, I'm really fascinated with that. Um Things that are like sort of new ingredients I'm really fascinated with. I find people, you know, like somebody's making an incredible drink. I will then maybe follow that person. Um, you know, somebody, you know, like, for instance, if you posted something and, you know, we're talking about a bartender and we all need to get to know that person, then I'm going to go to that person's feed and I'm going to look and see what they're doing. You know, Because I feel like I do need to know, you know, I should stay in the know about this stuff. So, Betsy, we, we call our podcast Hospitality Forward because we salute individuals and companies in our industry that are really shaping the future of it. So is there a single individual or organization that you would like to shout out, you know, for their efforts of moving our hospitality and travel industry forward? You know, they've gotten some recognition because they won the 2022 uh, Best New American Bar Award at Tales of the Cocktail. But Kate Gerwin and Blaze Montana at Happy Accidents in Albuquerque, I want to talk about them because I don't know that everybody understands why, you know, they like what is so amazing about what they did. So they call it happy accidents because, you know, they, 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 they worked in bars for many years and then they worked as consultants and they saw a lot of mistakes being made because the economic models were not working for owners because of those slim margins and for workers because, again, those slim margins. So they were like, okay, we're going to open a bar. How are, what are we going to do that's different? Well, they found out that instead of having a bar license, which costs $400,000 in Albuquerque, they could get a distilling license. They could be a distillery. So they did this. They decided to be a distillery and they started distilling their own spirits. And that made the margins so different for them that they could afford to pay their workers three times what other workers make in, in, in the service industry in Albuquerque. They could afford to give them full health care and family and family leave, you know, benefits. And they could also afford to, you know, after a while, offer those those um, workers ownership, you know, an, a, a, an ownership stake in the company. And, you know, through all of that, you know, they also allow their workers, you know, their workers are, you know, they, they stay. They don't they don't have the turnover that other places have. And then 
their staff gets involved in distilling too. So now they're not just making amazing cocktails, they're actually making the ingredients. They're coming up with new ingredients. So there's this incredible creativity there as well. And because people in Albuquerque, because they've been written about and people in Albuquerque know, you know, they find like, you know, bar lovers and, you know, drinks lovers find out about what they're doing and how they've, how they're taking care of their staff, you know, they've become popular. So, you know, it's just a win, like all the way around. And it's a different way of thinking about running your business. It's really people centered, you know, Kate Gerwin says, you know, hospitality is a two way street. And in order to receive hospitality, you have to recognize the humanity of the person that is serving you. And so I think this is amazing. Uh, you know, I, I know that in my industry, in, in journalism, those models, those top-down, you know, economic, those top-down capitalist models aren't working. So we need to think of new ways. We have need to come up with new models of, of putting together our businesses. Yeah, I, I think that's really great to see that innovation. And Kate is an incredible entrepreneur. She's definitely a great role model for our industry. And, and, and a force of nature. We haven't been to that bar yet, so we are adding that onto our bucket list as well. Yeah, me too. Let's go together. I haven't been either. Let's do it. Road Let's trip. Do, yes. Speaking of the bucket list, we know you love traveling. So what destination is on your next bucket list to visit and why? So because I've just come back from us huge spate of international travel. My next trip is a local trip. It's New York State. Yeah, so I'm going to the Finger Lakes and I'm going out to Long Island um, and I'm tasting a bunch of wines that I haven't tasted in a while, you know, and I'm really excited to do that. The Finger Lakes has become a really interesting and exciting place. During COVID, a bunch of sommeliers moved up there. Um, they opened inns, they started wine labels, they opened restaurants. Um, and so there's more sort of travel opportunities, more tourism opportunities up there. Um, and that's all sort of surrounding, you know, centered on the wine and the wine is so beautiful. So I'm, I'm excited to just take a local trip. That sounds like a very beautiful trip. And we love wines from Long Island and it's one of our favorite places to travel and going to the winery on the weekend and have a sip of rosé and just look at the sunset. It's just a beautiful thing. It's a great day trip. Yes, exactly. So circling back to cocktails, what's your favorite one and why? And who do you like to share it with? So I have been involved in a very intensive, beautiful project. It's a cookbook that comes out Spring 2025 from Chronicle Books. It's called Coastal, a road trippy California cookbook. And it is a collaboration with two very dear friends and amazing talents, the chef Scott Clark of Dad's Luncheonette in Half Moon Bay and the photographer Cheyenne Ellis. So Scott was chef de cuisine at Cezanne in San Francisco. He was Michelin. He worked a Michelin starred um, kitchens, he burned out. I mean, he was running a three-star kitchen. He was never seeing his kid and he just was needed a change. So he rented a caboose on the side of Pacific Coast Highway in Half Moon Bay and opened this destination burgers and pie shop. It's open four days a week and the rest of the time he gets to have his life and his staff gets to have their life. But he still has all these amazing recipes in him. So we had done a story together and 
we had so much, the three of us, and we had so much material. We were like, let's do a book. So it's all his recipes organized around adventures on the Central Coast, you know, fishing and foraging and sailing out to the Channel Islands and having breakfast after surfing and then back home with a kid. And the last recipe in this book is a cocktail. Now, Scott does not drink. He is clean and sober, but it is part of his hospitality in his home to have those things there, ingredients there in case somebody wants to have a drink. So it's called Dad's Sleepy Time. And it's by his right-hand man and the mixologist, um, Anthony Keels. And it's very beautiful. And it uses California spirits. And it's a sort of a riff on the Negroni. And I'm not going to tell you more about it because you got to buy the book. But it ends with cheers and good night, my friend. Oh, that's so sweet. First of all, congratulations. And as you know, we have uh, ongoing Meet the Author series where we organize a book signing event for our favorite authors. And we've been doing that for the last 10 years. So when your book comes out, just know that we'll be there for you to support you. We, and got, your your, we got your back. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, then beyond that very special nightcap, what do you see as the next It cocktail? Well, I can say I don't think it's going to be tequila. I think we've, I think we're, I think we're at maximum tequila. What I would love to see would be something that is with grape based brandy. So pisco, right? Or fruit based brandy, even just like some, an eau de vie, eau de vie. That's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say it's going to be the era of the eau de vie. We're going to drink eau de vies in all sorts of different ways. So, Betsy, you're also an accomplished poet with three acclaimed books of poetry. So how does your journalism influence your poetry writing and vice versa? Well, so my books are, they're what we call echo-poetic. So they're about the environment, which I care about very much. And they've generally been sort of about uh, habitat loss, um, loss of biodiversity and climate change, war. But they all end with, you know, the human solution to human-made problems is love. Um, guilt is a driver. Um, the thing that I do the most that harms the environment is fly. And I fly a lot. So I think about that a lot. I always implicate myself in my own writing. Um Sometimes food and drink end up in my writing, in my, in my poetry. Uh, but, but mainly I, I'm weighing sort of my impact on the planet, you know, against my caring for the planet and sort of working that into the craft of writing these book length poems. So special from cocktail to this beautiful, meaningful conversation. I mean, I have to say, when it comes to poets, something a little bit lighter. Um, many, many years ago, we took Michael to my country, Korea, Seoul, Korea, and to introduce him to my family. And I lost my dad many, many years ago when I was very young. And we took Michael to my father's gravesite and to show respect and to introduce my husband-to-be to my dad, who's resting in heaven. And after that visit, Michael wrote a beautiful poem 
about my dad, whom he hasn't even met. But I, I felt as if I had mm. in a lot of ways. So I don't know much about you know poetry, but when I hear a poem, I remember that poem that Michael wrote for my dad. And so I have a special feeling when I hear something about poems. That is just a beautiful story. Oh, thank you. And I know my dad would have loved him because I see like Michael and my dad has very similar personalities. He was a man of very few words. Michael, same. So I just imagine what if they would have met, then they would just look at each other, still understand each other. Beyond words. And you're a man of very few words, but then you used your few words for this exquisite purpose to write a poem. I love that. Oh, I, I was very moved. I was moved. And yeah, there was like, okay, then I think I'm going to marry this guy. <laughs> that was it. And guess what? It's been 24 years since then. That's so great. I think I'm going to keep him. <laughs> right on. Before we let you go, can you share your information where our listeners can reach you? Yeah. You can get me at, at Betsy Andrews on Instagram or Facebook, and you can just email me. It's B-E-T-S-Y-A-N-D-R at Gmail. So, Betsy, this was so much fun and what a meaningful time together. And we're looking forward to seeing you very soon. And again, congratulations on your upcoming book. That sounds so beautiful. Can't wait to read when it's published. Thank you, Betsy. Thank you. It was just really fun. Now that was a transporting chat with Betsy. Now that you know what Betsy is looking for, please feel free to reach out to her and introduce yourself. And don't forget to mention that you heard her on our Hospitality Forward podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with your friends and colleagues. And be sure to subscribe and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your favorite shows. Also, for all media guests to date, you can find their information and episodes on our agency's website, www.analeecommunications.com. Until then, join us as we move hospitality forward together.